everybody. Welcome to Lessons with Troy, the podcast. I'm your host, Troy Bernie Meyer. Today's guest is musician Steve Tilka. In today's show, Steve talks all about his journey from a student's perspective into Hawaiian music and the Hawaiian lap steel guitar. He also discusses the blog he writes for, for musicians just getting into Hawaiian lap steel, which can be found at www.steeltrappings.com. He also shares about his time in the military and about how playing the Hawaiian lap steel has really been therapeutic in helping him cope with his PTSD and music therapy programs he's been a part of that offer help to other veterans like SOAR, which stands for Sounds of Acoustic Recovery. For more information about SOAR, you can visit their website at www.soundsofacousticrecovery.com. Thanks for tuning in and enjoy the show. And remember, if you want to learn more about lap steel, dobro, Weisenborn, and more, be sure to check out my site at www.lessonswithtroy.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the podcast. It's been a while, but uh, welcome back. Um, today's guest is Steve Tilka, all the way from Clarksville, Tennessee. Hey, Steve. Hey. Aloha. How's it going? <laughs> aloha. Good, good. <laughs> Yeah, I've taken a break from uh, doing podcasts from a little bit, but it's good to to be back, you know, recording again and to have you on the on the show. And uh, tell people, uh, the listeners, a little bit about yourself, if you can. Okay. Well, um, I'm living right now out in Clarksville, Tennessee. Um, I'm originally from California, from Orange County, California. Um, while I was growing up, I was actually... Uh, completely enamored with steel guitar. Um, it was so different than what we would see here in the mainland. Um, and growing up, I, I would catch steel guitar players here and there and just be fascinated. It would draw my attention. In. Um, and I got my start uh, actually two years ago playing, um, and I started studying under Alan Akaka. Um, yep, yep. And it's it's been an amazing journey, you know. I, I absolutely love it, and I'm sure uh, the same goes for all the viewers as well. So. Yeah. So I, you know, I kind of forgot to mention at the beginning of this, but uh, Steve, like myself, is a student of Alan's, and you take uh, Skype lessons, right? Like, kind of like I did. I do. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And I see your shirt there. Let's let's see what your shirt oh, says. Yeah. This is. <laughs> so this is the uh, the school shirt for this year. For a K Kula Mele, which is Alan's school, um, and he teaches steel guitar as well as ukulele and Hawaiian style bass. So. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. Well, what are you learning from Alan these days? Um, well, since I'm fairly new to the steel guitar, uh, we've gone over everything from proper technique to what uh, what defines the Hawaiian style in comparison to some of the other steel guitar playing styles. Um, so the biggest, biggest hurdle that I had to get over was uh, playing smoothly. Um, and I, I still struggle with that quite a bit. Every now and then, Alan will catch me and say, hey, you know, this is a, a smooth piece, you know. Um, so I have to kind of really evaluate how I'm connecting my notes and, and things like that. And he's, he's doing a great job with providing um, a lot of Hawaiian standards to help me develop that technique you know, that kind of cater to, um, you know, milking the slide between notes where I can do something like, you know, um, even a one fret slide, you know, let me turn that up there, you know, kind of taking my time as opposed to, um, maybe in some other styles, you know, you just kind of get there, you know, yeah, um, yeah. 
so it's it's a lot of stuff like that and and like i said he's providing a lot of uh sheet music of his arrangements of hawaiian standards that really cater to um what i need to focus on playing okay okay well the other big thing that i really wanted to share with people is uh steve writes um articles um for um steel trappings right that's the the website is what steeltrappings.com yes steeltrappings.com yeah 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 um and you'll have to pronounce it. I'm, I'm horrible with pronouncing Hawaiian words. But what's your article called? So my article is called, called Haumana. And it's, um, Haumana means student in Hawaiian. Okay. Um, so I went with this title uh, because I'm a steel guitar student. Um, and I wanted to, to make sure that I was clear that when I write these articles, I'm not uh, speaking from the view of an expert or even a, a seasoned player. Um, so when I write these articles, uh, the subject is something that occurs to me on the steel guitar as I'm learning. So it's something I'm picking up and I say, hey, you know, this is something that maybe some other friends that I know who are also students might want to read about or hear about. Um, nice. Yeah, it's, um, it's a work in progress, definitely. But I mean, that's kind of the what we do as students. You know, we're... we're building as we go so yeah and that's why i wanted to have you on the show you know i i do have people like alan on the show you know but i i like to have people that are just kind of getting into it too so that you can see it from kind of two different perspectives because i think a student has a unique perspective that maybe a seasoned musician may have lost you know throughout all these years and gigs and everything of of uh of playing so that's really why you know i wanted to you know, have you on the show because you're you're great at sharing your journey really as a student of the steel guitar. And there's, a, you know, students that probably listen to this that can um, see what you're going through and kind of get inspired by, you know, what you're doing with the steel guitar and learning too as well. You know, so that's, that's why I wanted to have you on the show for sure. Absolutely. And I, I appreciate that very much. It's, um, so I, I came from standard guitar um, and I had a working knowledge of where steel guitar fits in arrangements um, and different styles of music, but the crossover is night and day difference. Whereas a standard guitar, um, the more notes as quickly as you can get them there is, is a, um, it kind of defines what a lead line would do if you're soloing. Um, you're a little bit more intricate. Uh, whereas in steel guitar, uh, at least to my ears, it's the exact opposite. It's your what can you say with less? Um, yeah. And and that's kind of the nature of the beast. Just by you know instead of playing with you know four or five fingers, we're we're with a tone bar. You know. And yeah. Yeah. With the exception of a few players, most of us this is all we get. You know. Um, so it's there's a lot more thinking involved, um, and I've noticed in for standard guitar, you know, there's a lot of mainstream publications, guitar player, um, you know, a vintage guitar that talk about technique. And uh, within that, there's different lessons for all levels of players and all styles. And one of the things that when I first picked up steel guitar um, that I had a hard time finding was somebody that would um, speak as a student. Um, 
And I, I found like your website, Mike Near's website, since I've started that have articles featuring um, all different avenues of playing. Um, but I, I always mm-hmm. kind of thought from my, from my perspective, it's like, well, if I've never done this or I've never really figured out what I'm doing, how can I um, express what I'm trying to learn, I guess, maybe not express, but how do I speak about it? You know? Yeah. And, yeah. and that was, um, that was the goal with, with how mana was to, um, encourage fellow student players to say, you know, Hey, we're, we're all here. And everybody that's experienced was in our shoes at one point as well. So if we all band together and, uh, open up these conversations about the, uh, difficulties of, of learning this instrument, then, we'll all push each other to keep going and and maybe even pull in new players. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of that, like what's, what's some, um, what's some things right now in your playing that you could maybe, um, like you said, as a student share from when you first started until now, things that, that, um, you've learned from Alan or things that, that have, have really kind of solidified in your playing, you know, since you've kind of started with all this. Um, the first thing that I've I've really learned was how to appreciate a, a good arrangement, um, and that comes from you know music or tabs as well as the way you view a guitar. Um, so, you know, one thing I've learned from Alan is if you're playing in a particular key, let's say in the key of G, you know, you really want to kind of hang out uh, around the seventh fret for at least the the main melody you know um from there you know you look at what you can grab chord wise to really uh enhance what you're playing and that's really crossed over into songs i've tried to arrange um just for my own enjoyment is pick up on that and um that that's really opened my eyes to what's really going on on the neck um i'm using the c6 tuning which a lot of players uh, are using as their main tuning these days. Um, Mm -hmm. but it's kind of an interesting tuning when you look at it. It really takes a lot of, um, thinking when you're arranging a tune. Um, so that's something that I've really picked up from Alan is, you know, on, like I said, coming from standard guitar, you know, there's nothing wrong with going from the bottom of the neck to the top or as a steel guitar, you might not necessarily have the time. Um, or you might be forced to do that based off of what notes you're trying to play. Um, so that concept really crossed over, um, for me anyway, for steel guitar, um, because like I said, we're using the one bar. Um, so you really have to be careful about your note selection. That, that's something that has really opened my mind up. Um, you know, when we listen to guys like Jerry Bird, um, and you start hearing these note pairings that might not fit into your triads that a standard guitar player would be playing and it really uh opens up the the tonal uh capabilities of the guitar or the arrangement um which i found really impressive the other thing the other thing that i've really learned is uh how to indicate styles um or i guess determine what style a song is so i guess what i mean by that is the difference between western swing and hawaiian Um, where Western swing, uh, if you take out of consideration things like, uh, tempo, um, and, and maybe, um, you know, some of your voicings, um, 
they're really so polar opposite of each other that you can kind of, once you know what you're listening to, um, you can identify it a little bit faster. Uh, like guys like Speedy West in comparison to Jules Ossie. You know, they're two very different styles of playing from two different kinds of players. Um, yeah. And that's something that for me as a student was kind of hard to grasp. Um, I didn't I didn't make that distinction uh, when I first picked up the guitar. I thought a steel guitar piece was a steel guitar piece. Um, I didn't understand the nuances of a playing style. Um, well, how we, I'll, I'll stop you right there just to, mm-hmm. to elaborate a little bit on that because I do play a little bit of Western swing and and Hawaiian and I would. How would you how would you describe each one and the differences? You know, if if you were to hear somebody, because sometimes you don't want to sound like a Western swing guy if you're trying mm-hmm. to play Hawaiian and vice versa. You know, um, for me, the big difference, um, well, the most notable difference is the approach to vibrato. Um, Hawaiian vibrato is very relaxed and tame. Um, with the exception of guys like Danny Stewart, um, who was a Hawaii Calls era player, uh, he had kind of a um, a fast vibrato, and it was almost almost too fast, but that was kind of his signature. Then when you look at uh, some of the Western swing guys, um, a lot of times the approach that I've noticed to vibrato is a little bit more playful and not as uh, um, unison across the board, you know. Mm. Um, a lot of the Western swing steel players, in my opinion, um, are filling in where there would be a horn section. Um, so if a, a horn, uh, you know, big 17 piece horn section was doing a quick chord change and maybe doing, uh, some kind of vibrato in the, in the trumpets, mm-hmm. that's what I hear a lot of these Western swing guys copying, um, and in, in Hawaiian, it's more essential to the playing. Uh, maybe it's to carry the note out for two bars. Um, so it's more of a, a tool rather than a, a trick in Hawaiian. Um, yeah. That might be the wrong phrasing, um, but it's, it's more uh, Western swing. I see a lot of things like that, vibrato, and you know the way they approach notes. Um, as as a it's more fun kind of silly you know um yeah. there you know it, and it's unique to each player um yeah so that's that's something that i always hear um and at least that's the way it, it comes into my ears you know it's like oh you hear a little bit more uh they're goofing off they're having fun you know um which yeah you know a lot of the old hawaiian guys you hear that too um but it's it's very different very different. Um, another thing that always makes me think mm-hmm. Western swing versus Hawaiian is chord shapes. Um, I've noticed that a lot of Western swing players um, will take their chord shapes from uh, from jazz um, and use inversions um, as well as maybe build a chord off of a chord rather than playing your, uh, you know, over a C, they might be playing an E minor and dropping out certain notes that uh, would clash with the rest of the band. Um, and that really adds to the style like uh, Leon McAuliffe. You know, uh, when he would go and take solos, sometimes he almost sounded out of the box. 
Um, and in Hawaiian, uh, it's not always the case, um, but I noticed that there's a lot more uh, uniformity throughout a band. Um, it's a little bit more simple, you know. Yeah, that's uh, what so I know. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. Oh, I was just gonna say that's what I noticed. You know, when I went to Maui and, and Alan Steel Guitar Festival, is that Hawaiian seemed <clears throat> seemed like licks and flashy stuff that you might see in uh, you know styles of music that I'm used to, like bluegrass and this mm-hmm. and that, where you got so-called shredders, you know, that are just playing fast oh, and playing yeah. hot licks and pedal steel guys that are playing real super fast hot licks. It didn't seem like it seemed like that was so far removed from Hawaiian music. It seemed like the the prettier the better it, it's like oh that's th- that guy's playing great not because he's playing the fastest flashy licks you know he you can hear the melody and it's almost like this the 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 more beautiful like each player i don't want to say they tend to outdo each other but let's say they th- what attracts them let's say to the audience is they're trying to play beautiful you know the most beautiful oh, yeah. that they can you know yeah absolutely <clears throat> with the harmonics and and it's the exact opposite of let's say flashy fast stuff like you're saying like instead of sliding up to a note real fast it's real smooth and then real controlled vibrato and uh, harmonics where you're really trying trying to get the best tone out of the harmonics and the best tone out of each note oh yeah Um, you know sometimes in in western swing i feel like and bluegrass and some of this like they're already going to the next note, whereas Hawaiian music, it's making that note sound as big and huge and beautiful as possible, you know? Absolutely. But I hear at least, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I agree 100%. Yeah. And that kind of, for me, it kind of carried into the personalities, too, of the Hawaiian musicians. You know, when I would meet them, they're so humble and just, you know, just very, uh, just, just humble people and, and nice and... It wasn't about bragging about what they can do or anything. Just, just very down to earth. It seemed like you know. Oh yeah, absolutely. That's that's been my experience with uh, everybody in the steel guitar community that I've I've uh, met and had the chance to correspond with. Is um, that was for me? That was one of the most intimidating factors. Was uh, you 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 already know that there's a lot involved in steel guitar coming into it. Um, there's a lot of thinking involved. Um, and as a new player, um, when I first really started and kind of hadn't really figured out what I was, what I was doing, um, I was almost intimidated to, to even start to think about reaching out and asking questions. Um, and over time, you know, I got over that and as, you know, I'll approach people and ask, how do you do this? Or what do you think about this and get information? Um, because really there's, you know, in modern times, 2017, there's really not a lot of steel guitar players out there in comparison to um, other instruments, other stringed instruments. Um, and we're, we're in an interesting time where a lot of the, uh, the old timers are kind of starting to, to leave us now. Um, and we really have to um, find a way to... to push you know everybody that's involved in in steel guitar now push and and keep the instrument alive um and so that's something that i always speak to uh, my friends about is you know 
don't be afraid to go out there and talk to people, whether it's, you know, online or in person, um, because that's how we do, you know, that's how we're going to keep these things alive, you know? Um, yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I, know I was thinking about, you know, I didn't go to, to the, the Maui Steel Guitar Fest this year. I went the last two years and I was just thinking, you know, I, I, I assume it's going to be going on for a while, but you never know, you know, who, who knows how long stuff like that goes. And, and uh, I think, you know, Alan Akaka is really a huge advocate for the instrument. I feel like with all of his festivals that he's doing, his, you know, I know he travels to Japan and teaches and this and that, but you know, these, uh, you know, unfortunately, you know, these people aren't going to be around forever and it'd be nice to, to, um, make sure that, you know, it does carry on, you know, after, you know, they go, I guess. Yeah. I, yeah. I, yeah, I, I wonder about that as well. Um, I haven't been to the Maui festival yet, uh, but I always watch for new videos, um, associated with the Maui and Kauai festivals as well as the Honolulu, uh, festival. Um, and it's it's starting to be a uh, more dynamic group of people as far as ages go. Uh, when you see the uh, uh, um you know, afterwards, um, you know, you see everybody from, you know, little uh, Malie Lyman to, uh, you know, there's some some well experienced players and then some some older folks are, are coming out that maybe have been playing um since you know the first mainland boom of steel guitar uh and i mean it's it's such a great way to meet people you know and share ideas or um learn you know really learn from everyone um and it's yeah i've been i've been meaning to get out there because it's it's a great thing you know And, and like you said alan really does a great job um putting these together um, and of course, out here we have the uh, Fort Collins um, uh, festival. Yeah, I've, I got to go to that. Have you have you been to that one? Not yet. No, I'm hoping to go this year. So, all right. So well, maybe I'll see you out there. When, when is that normally? I thought it was the end of September. Okay, I think so September 24th, maybe. Okay. Okay. So sometime in the fall, then. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Or I guess you know early early fall. I guess it would be. September, October. Anyways, <laughs> yeah. so yeah, the other thing that I really wanted to um, share with people is kind of your background as far as, you know, you have a, a military background. I want to thank you, you know, for your service oh, thank sure, you. In, the, in the military and um, just have you kind of talk about that and also talk about how Hawaiian music and the steel guitar is kind of almost therapy, you know, for you to, to kind of relax and this and that. Absolutely. Um, so I, I joined the military in 2009 um, and uh, I went to the Army um, and wanting to have the real Army experience, um, I joined as infantry, um, which those who, who um, may not be familiar with different jobs in the, in the military, uh, in the infantry, you're basically a rifleman. Um, and at first, you know, I thought that was that was great. You know, I had uh, military in my family history. Um, a couple of them went the same route, did the the infantry career path. Um, I ended up deploying to Afghanistan in 2010. Um, you know, and it's it was an experience, absolutely. Uh, I got to see a different country, experience another culture. Um, beautiful country, uh, 
a lot of the people were very, very nice. Um, but I, I felt that uh, something was definitely missing, and I was very fortunate to have uh, my family hold on to a couple of my instruments. So they, they sent out an acoustic guitar and um, started kind of playing on our downtime. And uh, I really dove into Hawaiian slack key um, while I was while I was there and deployed and had the opportunity to play. And what I found in that was uh, kind of a, a way to get away from uh, everything that was going on around us. Um, and once I came home, that interest in playing Hawaiian music continued. Um, and it really became, like I said, very therapeutic um, because I was able to put the things out of my mind, you know, things that other veterans deal with. Um, some of the things that you don't realize you have issues with until you're back home and, and, you know, have a chance to decompress. Um, so I went through all the, all the things you hear about veterans. Um, you know, I went through a period of just being in a dark place. Um, and I found that the more I played, the more I was able to cope with certain things. Um, Towards the end of my military career, I was very fortunate enough to audition and get into the Army Band, um, where I played standard guitar. Um, and that, of course, in my mind, really helped kind of get my head straight, you know, kind of cope with things as well. Um, and that was an amazing experience. We got to, you know, play all over Tennessee and, and some of the surrounding states. Um, nice. And it really made me realize... Um, that music was something I wanted to pursue full time. Um, before I had joined, I had uh, been going to school pursuing recording arts um, and kind of got burnt out on school and that pushed me to, to join the military. Um, but uh, right now, you know, that's, that's kind of what I'm getting back into. Um, okay. But uh, through the Army Band, I was very fortunate enough to participate in a group called SOAR which was Sounds of Acoustic Recovery. And what that was was a, a program that was started at Fort Campbell, which is out here in Clarksville. Uh, it's home of the 101st. Um, and the, the group catered to wounded warriors and wounded warriors who are transitioning out of the military. Um, and what we did was set up a weekly um, meeting where anybody within the wounded warrior project or the associated unit on post um, could come and learn to play the guitar. And we were uh, very lucky to pair up with Guitars for Vets. And uh, a, lot of, a lot of the members in this program now, after they take a certain amount of courses, get to keep their guitar. And uh, we were able to pair them up with a Nashville songwriter and at the end of our course, and they get their guitar, they get to go down to Nashville and have a free songwriting and recording session. Oh, cool. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, it was amazing. Um, we got to see a lot of people work through um, some of the things that were haunting them uh, from their military experience, whether it was how they got injured or any number of things. Um, and there were a lot of great songs that allowed service members to express uh, express themselves. Maybe they weren't comfortable talking about their situation, but it, it was okay to let it out in a song. Um, and it, it really helped a lot of, a lot of these soldiers um, 
kind of find find an outlet rather than turning to substance abuse or worse you know um yeah so it it, it gave positive um a positive way to release all this frustration and and things that that uh these soldiers were experiencing nice. um and to my knowledge now the program um has actually become a 501c um and is actually sponsored by wounded warrior um and now works full-time with guitars for vets and i believe it's a nationwide program now oh um, wow yeah. yeah so it's it's a great great thing and i'm very fortunate to have the chance to do that um it it was definitely one of the highlights of my military career uh being yeah. able to to help these people that didn't know where else to go um, essentially. So that was, yeah. that was amazing. And I mean, I've really found that music in general is very therapeutic. Um, you know, when I, when I have days where something kind of sets me off or, um, you know, they call it triggers. If you go down to the, you know, and go through the VA process, they'll, they'll ask you to identify what some of your triggers are. Um, so if I have a day that is kind of, you know, just one thing after another bombarding me and start, I can feel myself start to kind of go back into that zone. I can pick up, you know, the steel and play for a while. And by the time I'm done, I, I can't remember what it was that kind of had me feel intense or, you know, down or something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, if, if uh, there's vets out there that, that watch, um, watch the podcast or follow steel guitar or any instrument, um, I definitely encourage, you know, using music as a tool. It's, it's definitely something that can, um, really save people in, in my opinion. So. Yeah. Yeah. Hawaiian music, especially, you know, has such a, I feel like a, a calming way about it, you know, just to even play it, you know, you kind of have to calm yourself down to get the right sound, you know, to like, sometimes if I'm real tense and I go to try to play something, I have to almost get in a whole different frame of mind and to move my hand smoother and vibrato more relaxed and, and oh, yeah. all that you know yeah absolutely yeah i do the same thing i mean if i have something as simple as too much coffee you know before i try and play <laughs> then it it doesn't come out the same so <laughs> now did you uh with the program did you try to uh teach anybody steel guitar in the program i actually tried to uh start that through the program um but there just wasn't enough enough uh, interest across the area we were in. Yeah. Um, and to my knowledge, on I was at Fort Campbell. Um, I may have been the only one that was playing <laughs> steel at the time. Um, I have noticed uh, that in Clarksville, there's a couple other steel players popping up. I don't know if they recently moved to town with Nashville being so close. Um, yeah. But I'm starting to notice kind of uh chatter online about a couple more players in town and and uh, i have yet to meet up with them but if they see this i definitely like to so yeah well that's cool <laughs> yeah yeah it tends to draw people too that have uh, hand injuries i've noticed i get emails from people that um you know had a accident with a, a band you know a, a, a saw or something lost fingers or maybe mm -hmm. they have arthritis and they can't play normal guitar. Maybe they played normal guitar before, but now something's wrong physically. And um, 
it seems like the the dobro lap steel any kind of lap instruments um is nice for that you know people that are yeah yeah. absolutely in fact i'm glad you mentioned that i was speaking to um a gentleman online uh he runs the company easy slide i'm not sure if you're familiar with them his name is basil oh yeah basil yeah 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 he uh he has the company i don't know if you can read this easy slide Mm -hmm. um and he makes these these bars um you know, custom order. And one of the, one of the things that he asks is, you know, are there any injuries, um, you know, arthritis and things like that. So that's something that, uh, that could definitely help too, that are people, uh, people getting into steel guitar, um, if they have real bad arthritis or, uh, you know, they've had, like you said, um, uh, accidents with saws or something, um, you know, that's, that's a good avenue to go, um, for a bar that's more, uh, custom to the player if that makes sense yeah what does he do exactly to make a bar work for somebody that might have arthritis or something to my knowledge he'll adjust the weight and the way uh, a bar is balanced okay so this is like a uh, synthetic synthetic material um but he actually has a i believe it's a steel core which i don't know if you can see that in there yeah um and from my understanding, he'll change the weight of the bar or um, the material he uses to to build the core based off of uh, what a player needs. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I was that was something we had discussed when I ordered the bar from him. Um, I have I have uh, real stiff wrists, um, and I've never been diagnosed with any kind of arthritis or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, but he addressed, and he's like, well, you know, what I can do is work on making the bar a little bit lighter for you and, and things like that. And I imagine he does that with, with every order. Um, yeah. So it's it's um, a, a good thing, you know, a lot different than the standard Dunlop um, bars, which are kind of uniform across the board. Um, something that's a little bit more uh, maneuverable for somebody that might have hand injuries. So Nice. If you don't mind, can you hold that bar up again? I just want to yeah. see what size that was. It looks kind of a lot larger than, than – uh, is. how does that fit in your hand? Is that larger than a normal kind of lap steel bar or is that – It is, to- yes. Um, so this is the 2 and 7 eighths, and I have a – I believe that's the measurement. I have a standard Dunlop 918, and you can see the difference here in size. Nice. Okay. And then diameter is a little bit different. Yeah. And how does that, that, uh, the one that like, um, talk a little bit if you can, how does that feel? You know, I, I don't have one, but I've thought about buying one, you know, I absolutely love it. Um, for one, I like the length uh, mm-hmm. a lot better than the, the nine eighteen, the Dunlop, um, which I believe at one point was called the bird bar. Um, I believe these were the, the Jerry Bird signature bars that Dunlop offered for a while. Um, weight wise, they're, they're about the same. Um, what I notice playing wise is having the synthetic material on the outside really adds to, uh, tone. Um, Hmm. it's a lot lighter tone. Um, since I'm playing a fry pan, I had an issue with getting a metallic buzz um, anytime I would would uh, you know play. 
And I did things to kind of compensate for that, but it was always something that was on my mind. You know, how do I get rid of that metallic sound? Um, and when I found found out about uh, Basil's company, mm-hmm. I I decided that, you know, that's something I need to look into. And I kind of looked at a couple of videos on Facebook of, you know, demonstrations um, and decided that I was going to go that route. Um, I've noticed almost a, a creamy sound out of it. So hmm. if I were to take the standard Dunlop bar, you know. So that's what the... So this is the Dunlop. And if I were to do the... The same thing with the uh, the easy slide. You kind of get it's a warmer tone, um, almost a little bit more full, and I think mm-hmm. that has to do with the size. Um, but it's it's great. I absolutely love it. Um, a big a big part of what uh, pushed me to go for a synthetic bar like this is uh i'm a big bobby and gano fan oh yeah um, me too and and i mean he's his tone on the uh, on the fry pans is is amazing and that was something that that uh pushed me to go the fry pan route when i was shopping around for for a good guitar um and i noticed that he was always playing the synthetic bars rather than the straight steel and i wasn't getting a the tone i wanted out of the standard dunlop so I, I shopped around before I actually went with the Easy Slide, and it gets me a little bit closer to what what I'm hearing in my head when I think about my sound. Yeah. Um, um, the big big thing that I really like about the bar is the size. So the the Easy Slide is the two and seven eighths, mm-hmm. or maybe it's one and seven eighths. Um, whereas the nine eighteen is the uh, the one sixteenth. Um, obviously there are, there's quite a bit of difference in size and with my hands um, having more bar to control made a big difference uh, worked a lot better for slants uh, doing the split bars that Alan likes to teach yeah. um, it, it was it made these these slants and split bars more obtainable um, which was a source of a lot of frustration um, as I was learning them because uh, I had issues getting notes in tune, um, mm-hmm. maybe missing strings as I would go for a slant in a while playing a piece. Uh, so the size difference between the bars really, really helped. Um, but the, is e- the oh, go ahead. Oh, is it easier to grip? Like on the, is it got a more of a grippiness to the texture of it? It does. Yes. Um, it's it doesn't slide out of your hand when when you start if you're sweating a little bit as mm-hmm. much as the steel bars would. Um, that was another issue I had is if I was playing outside or uh, it was a warm day and I was starting to sweat a little bit, I had a hard time controlling the Dunlop. Um, it would I I always felt like I was about to drop it, um, which of course affects your playings. You you kind of lose that confidence. With the uh, with the easy slide, I don't feel like that's so much of an issue. Um, yeah. I'm very confident that I, I have control over the bar. Nice. So the uh, the good thing about all that and kind of getting to find a bar that I'm comfortable with is I got to learn about tones of different bars, um, 
you know, playing with Stevens bars, um, things like that, and figuring out, okay, well, why, why do certain players use specific bars? Um, or what's the use of having multiple bars, you know? Um, yeah. So I, looking at it on the sunny side, you know, um, it, you know, I got to experience that side of steel playing and kind of gain a little bit more um, knowledge as to why certain certain things work and how they work. So it it was cool. It's uh, I'm actually hoping to write an article about that in uh, in Haumana as well as different bars and things like that. So nice. yeah, yeah, it's definitely uh, yeah, you know. A, I'm still using the sorry to interrupt. Oh, yeah. I'm still using the uh, the Dobro bar, and when you talk about split bars, it, it's almost impossible to get, you know, that that the way that he puts the round part of that bar mm-hmm. in between the strings and then pushes down the lower string, you know, or the middle string. I guess it would be to make the the chord in tune. Oh yeah, it, this thing I'm so used to it, but at some point I know that I wish that Basil made one that had this top and sides but then had just a perfectly round tip so i could still do the you know actually had both of them you know this kind of end and then a round tip when i needed it too you know that'd be great that would be yeah that's that's actually a good idea because i mean there's i've noticed a lot of players like the grip um on like a stevens bar or a dobro bar um you get a little bit more control and and things like that um but I mean, that'd be something to, to talk to him about, you know, that'd be, that'd be something great. Cause I mean, you know, as far as I know, I, I haven't seen, um, a Dobro bar or, or anything like that that had the round tip. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, that could be, that could be a million dollar idea right there. <laughs> <laughs> or for us, it'd be hundreds of dollars in the, in the steel world. Yeah. No, but it, yeah. you know, they do, Shub makes one, I don't have mine, but, um, it's the SP2. It's one I initially used that had that, but it's such a small end. It's not like yours that has that diameter to it, you know? Right. I would love to have yours and then just have grooves made on the sides and the top, basically. I think that'd be the perfect bar, you know? Absolutely, yeah. yeah and that would work well for, like you said, playing bluegrass, too. Um, mm-hmm. You know, because there's, there's a lot more um, call for having the handle on your bar for bluegrass as you kind of go different different positions on the neck. yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, this one I'm so used to, but uh, Greg Sardina, I went out there to Maui one time and he, he tried to use it and he tried to do <laughs> slants and stuff. And to me, it feels real natural, but he's like, oh man, this feels <laughs> terrible. You know, he hated this. The uh, They all call this the Stevens bar, even though it's not, you know, it's a yeah. different, all kinds of different bars, but that kind with the grooves. Um, yeah. Well, cool. Yeah, uh, you know, the other thing I wanted to kind of talk to you about is, uh, don't you have like a punk rock kind of background or something you, you oh, were telling yeah. me about? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So uh, growing up in Orange County, California, um, we had we had city life and we had uh, beach culture. And that's, that's pretty much throughout the entire state of California. <laughs> um, and Orange County was a popular punk rock hub. Um, so my first real start in, um, I guess playing around town outside of school bands and things like that was playing punk rock music and, and some rockabilly. Um, and that was, those were some interesting times, interesting <laughs> times. <laughs> what years uh, are we talking about now with this? This would have been the early two thousands. Okay. 
So um, this is after, you know, bands like Green Day and Rancid had uh, kind of done the whole punk rock revival thing. Um, post uh, pop punk Blink-182 stuff had already kind of petered off. Um, but we used to play around places like uh, the Doll Hut, which is in Anaheim. A um, couple places in Los Angeles. Um, you know, like the Knitting Factory used to do a punk rock night. Um, you know, the whiskey was there, which was which was very big. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, it was night and day difference now. You know, this this was a while ago, so I've I've kind of mellowed out. One of the cool things that I've seen last time I was in California is uh, uh, surf and Hawaiian music are are coming back to the beach communities. Uh, oh, pretty cool. strong. There are places like uh, Don the Beachcombers. Uh, which is there in Seal Beach, just outside of Huntington. Um, and this is a, it used to be called Sam Seafood. Um, and I believe it was built in the 50s, maybe a little bit earlier. Uh, but the inside has like a tiki decor. Um, and it really falls back to uh, when the mainland was kind of Hawaii crazy. Um you know, Blue Hawaii kind of era stuff. Um, so they'll play music from, um, you know, Soul Ho Ho B to Martin Denny and things like that. Um, Arthur Lyman, you'll, you'll hear that over the radio. Uh, but uh, going back to punk rock, uh, the band X has a side project that plays there regularly. Um, so you'll see, see some of the people from X come through. Uh, some blues kind of rockabilly bands like the Blasters, Big Sandy. Uh, one of one of the bands I really enjoy is a group called the Hula Girls, which is a Hawaiian themed rockabilly band. Oh, cool! And they do they do regular uh, regular stays there at Don the Beachcomber, and they're they're very entertaining. It, they kind of have a uh, Bill Haley sound, um, but the songs are geared towards surfing. Um, life in Waikiki, things like that. It's it's really great, really great stuff. Um, and what's this place called again? Don the Beachcombers. And it's in An Anaheim, did you say? Or uh, this is in uh, Seal Beach in Seal California. Beach, mm -hmm. Okay, okay. Yeah. Nice. And uh, you know, it just comes to my mind. This is changing the subject again. But I remember you, a little bit ago you had held up your uh, your lap steel, your Jerry Bird. Yeah, I've still maybe talk a little bit about that. And um, I don't know much about the history of the fry pan. Uh, maybe talk a little bit about that if you could. Absolutely. So I have this is the uh, Jerry Bird fry pan. This was made by Showbud, which was the pedal steel guitar company. Uh, to my knowledge, uh, this was was put together by Shot Jackson and Jerry Bird. Um and I believe they started production in the late 70s. This is a 79. Um, this is the short scale model. And uh, the story goes, and I can't confirm any of this. It's I've, I've actually tried to look up information as well. Uh, Jerry commissioned Showbud to have 300 uh, fry pans made as kind of a limited edition uh, signature model. Um Jerry actually used one, and you can find videos of him uh, in the 80s and 90s playing where he's, he's using one. Um, I believe also short scale is what he used. Um, the story goes 
that after the first 300 were made, Jerry didn't want to continue um, with the model. Uh-huh. Or there was some agreement to to end production. Okay. Um, I believe Shot Jackson continued to make the make the fry pan. And there are stories that the first batch of the um, post-Jerry Bird model still had Jerry's name on there. Mm. And after some kind of argument and probably a, a lengthy legal battle, it was changed to have Shot Jackson's name across mm-hmm. the neck board. And I don't know if you can see that, but on the frets here, it says, says Jerry Bird. And then the top says is Jerry Bird or JB Frypan. So there's no indication of, of Showbud on here at all. Um, nice. hmm. Now, the history of fry pans are actually kind of interesting. Uh, the first fry pans were made by Rickenbacker. And that's what you see uh, Bobby Ngano plays quite a bit. Um, Jerry Valdrez also mm-hmm. plays a, a Rickenbacker fry pan. I believe Alan has one as well. Um, to my knowledge, the fry pan was the first mass-produced produ- mass solid-body electric guitar. Wow. Um, this would have been in the 1930s, if I'm correct. Um, I might be wrong about the time frame. But uh, they featured a, a uh, horseshoe magnet, which this model is, is not an actual uh, horseshoe. It actually just has the cover to kind of mimic the originals. Okay. Um, well, the way the uh, the horseshoe would work is you'd have the pickup sitting inside, and the cover was actually magnets as well. So you mm. would get a very hi-fi sound, much like the um, the Bakelite Rickenbackers are well known for their pickups, uh, and I believe some Rickenbacker basses actually have the the horseshoe mounted in there. Hmm. And that's kind of what gave um, what was known as the Hawaiian sound. To, to the electric guitars. And of course, in the history of electric guitar, um, what really brought along popularity of electrifying these instruments was Hawaiian music. Um, I believe uh, Joseph K. Kuku um, developed the steel guitar in the 1890s. Uh, and of course, once he uh, kind of got his technique down and started showing what the Hawaiian guitar was about, um, it kind of took off like like gangbusters. Um, of course, during this time, uh, Hawaii had become a territory of the United States. Um, so there were a lot of Hawaiian minstrel groups that would travel to the mainland and you know over to Asia and Europe playing Hawaiian music. So with the development of steel guitar, or at the time, Hawaiian guitar, um, they were bringing along this technique that nobody was familiar with. Um, as time moves on, uh, we saw developments from National making the, the tricone resonators and things like that. Now, the purpose of that was to make the Hawaiian guitar more audible during a performance. Because if you imagine, you know, you have, have a band playing acoustic guitars and ukuleles and a singer, and all of a sudden, instead of playing your guitar standard with the sound projecting forward it's now projecting up towards the ceiling you're going to have issues cutting through the band um so of course you know you see like uh the weisenborns have the hollow necks uh the next development from there was the the national guitars which were the the spun brass 
um, and all the things that make national what they are. Um, shortly after that, there were a series of, of companies that wanted to electrify steel guitar. And that's really where we start to see um, electric, electric guitar come to the forefront. Um, some of the first players that really utilized an electric steel guitar uh, were like Soho, B, uh, Dick McIntyre. Um, and, of course, these guys were traveling uh, back and forth from Hawaii to the United States uh, to Europe, bringing this new technology along with them. Oh, okay. um, now, Rickenbacker, uh, being one of the first, if not the first, mass-produced electric guitar gained instant popularity. Uh, even today, among a lot of players, um, you know, a Rickenbacker fry pan or a Bakelite are, you know, the, um, you know, that's gold. You know, that's that's the sound uh, for, for Hawaiian players. Um, so it's really, really kind of interesting. Now, I believe Jerry Bird had commissioned this model uh, when Shot Jackson uh, approached him because there were no longer uh, fry pans in production during this time. Uh, and wanting a another uh, signature guitar, I believe that he decided to have a fry pan made to offer that option to new players or collectors. Um, now, one of one of the characteristics of these fry pans is a very bright tone, um, you know, which which can be a good thing or a bad thing, you know, depending on on what side of the fence you sit. For me, um, I constantly battle with. To me, what's too bright of a tone, um, and it's it takes just kind of playing around and, and things like that, and finding the tone that's satisfying for that day. But you you get some um, positive aspects to the aluminum body as opposed to a wood body. Like uh, you get a little bit more sustain, um, just like you would out of a national as opposed to a standard acoustic guitar. Um, so it's very very interesting. Uh, of course, one of the things I like about it is I, I don't really have to worry so much about it getting damaged uh, while traveling uh -huh. uh, as opposed to a wood body guitar or an acoustic. Um, so it's really interesting. Um, one of the things I probably should point out about these models mm -hmm. is this is an eight string. Uh, now, at the time, the most that I had seen on on a fry pan was seven. And I'm sure there are models out there that are eight strings, um, but I, I haven't seen too many. Um, now, this, to my knowledge, comes about from the eras of, you know, Jerry Bird and Speedy West when they were cutting records um, in the 50s and early 40s when steel guitar uh, was at its most popular. Um, of course, this is non-pedal steel. Um, a lot of players and companies were going to eight strings for... Uh, more chordal options, um, more capabilities when playing single lines. You know, you can now play down an entire octave or, you know, something like that without having to retune your guitar. Um, so that's something that, that's really interesting about these Jerry Bird models is that they're eight-string fry pans. And I have seen, I have seen six-string models as well. Um, but most of the players like uh, Mark, uh, Mark Pruncha, um, he's using an eight string, uh, bird fry pan. Um, and I know Alan has one as well. And mm -hmm. I've heard stories of Billy Hugh Len using one for a short time. Hmm. So 
Nice. Now, what do you have that tuned to? This is a C6, uh, okay. and I'm, I'm using an E on top, and okay. I have a low G on my 8 string and a B flat on my uh, 7 string. Low G. Okay. Yes. Okay. I know Alan does, well, he does a lot of tunings, but it seemed like he did the low C low, you know, on his eight, the eighth string. Is that right? Yes. Mm. Okay. He does. Okay. Yeah. And the reason why I'm using a G is uh, I actually found an arrangement of Chloe, and it's uh, Gabby Pahanui's arrangement. And uh, he has his eighth string tuned to a G um, in order to, to accomplish uh, the intro that he's playing in the position that he's playing in. Um, and I, I kind of just left it. Um, you know, sometimes I'll drop down to a C on the bottom, uh, which I know Jules Asi did that. He had a C on the bottom and then the B flat and then standard C6. Yeah. Um, so that G, I mean, in comparison with the C, I mean, that's a, if you're, if you're moving back and forth, seems like when you'd put it on a C, it would be pretty a floppy string, wouldn't it? Oh yes, absolutely. Um, let me, uh. Because that I G, can... I mean, that's because I have A6 strings on mine, mm-hmm. and normally that's it's F sharp, A, C sharp, uh, or F sharp, what, A, anyways, whatever it is. Yeah, A, F sharp, A, C sharp, E, F sharp, A, C sharp, E. And that F sharp, when I try to tune that down to a C, it's like, oh, it's, yeah, it's real floppy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, so this is, so that's playing a C on the G string. And it's, you know, it's, it's, you can tell it's, it's low, you know? Yeah. 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 Well, that's cool. Yeah. What, uh, um, what, where do you get your strings? Like sometimes I go to juststrings.com or elderly.com. I didn't know if there's another place that, that you know of to get strings. Uh, I've been using juststrings.com, uh, and okay. I'm actually using the, uh, SIT strings. Okay. Um, and I really liked JustStrings.com um, because they they really price things appropriately. Um, you know, I, I have a couple other instruments that you know I'll do one bulk order for all the strings I need, and uh, you know I can go to a music store and either order or buy off the rack for maybe ten bucks a pop. Whereas Just Strings, you know, you get them for maybe five six bucks. Um, yeah, which is which is great because I mean it's you know with with the uh, <laughs> every other expense that you know everybody has you know if we can we can find a shortcut that's definitely a a good thing nice and you're getting like i said i get the a6 strings i think mine are called scotty's you know they're i guess scotty from st louis you know yes mm-hmm. um but uh what what's the tuning i mean it's, i guess it's c6 strings that you're getting but not with the high not with the fifth on top you know the high g the high e c6 right yes correct yeah okay. um i believe there, these are also the Scotties, um, and I believe he does offer a high G set, um, but I get the the just with the third on top. Okay. Nice. Um, you know, I always have to watch that. You know, I have to look real close when I'm ordering because sometimes I'll go too fast and I'll realize, oh, I did something wrong. You know, um, but uh, yeah, Scotties, um, and he does have both. In fact, now that I think of it, you can do it with the high G. I actually have a a friend out in Louisville that uses the high G and we'll get together every now and then and, and play and like, Oh, what'd you do? You know? And then it takes a second to kind of readjust, you know, like, yeah. Oh, okay. Well, you know, <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah. I go back and forth, um, from liking a six tuning cause it has the fifth on top. 
And then now I'm practicing a lot of Hawaiian stuff again. I'm putting it back into the, the C6 with the third on top. And there's something about that third on top that really forces you, I don't know, to play different. I feel like it sounds a lot more Hawaiian to me than when I play A6 and I'm playing more like Western swing, dobro-ish kind of stuff, I feel like, you know? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I agree. To to my ears, like you said, it's it's very Hawaiian. Yeah. Very Hawaiian. And I think that's because, uh, you know, in in the old days, a lot of Hawaiian music was major minor chords, where when you move into guys like Jules Ossie, um, you know, and, and guys in that era, you know, Danny Stewart, all the Hawaii call players, they were really um, playing hapahaole, which was mixing, you know, jazz and Hawaiian. So now you're using extended chords where uh, you really that third makes the difference. You know, if you're looking at, you know, a, a G7, you know, you you won't be able to tell if it's a major or minor without, you know, having the B or B flat, you know. Yeah. Of course, you know, there are ways around that. You could always leave the third out and, and things like that. Um, but that's, to me, I think that's that's where it comes from. When I when I think about it, you know, having that third. Yeah, I know third. Bobby Ngano, you know, he plays a seven-string fry pan, doesn't he? He does, yeah. And then he tunes it to a C6, I believe, with the fifth on top. He does, and, yes. Okay, yeah. Yeah, but uh, it's it's crazy. You're talking about that having a brighter sound. And when I hear Bobby, probably of any of the lap steel guys that I like, you know, he has the warm one of the warmest sounds out there. That's crazy Absolutely. that he's getting that on the fry pan, you know? And I think, uh, I think that might have to do with the pickup as well. And, of course... Uh-huh. Of course, his touch too, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, all, all in his hands. But uh, when I hear a a uh, true uh, horseshoe pickup compared to what's put in the the bird fry pans, um, they're night and day difference. Um, these pickups, like I said, this is this is just a uh, plastic cover that looks like the horseshoe. The inside is very similar to what you would see on like a uh, you know a Gibson console grande or or something like that or just a standard uh maybe even like a stratocaster pickup you know mm. it's that same style um you uh, know with the oh go, oh, ahead. go ahead uh have you heard of rick aiello i think he's out of somewhere out east uh one of the carolinas maybe or something i don't quote me on that but uh tall guy long hair a uh, blonde hair uh oh yes he, mm. yeah yeah I think he makes his own pickups, I think, his own horseshoe pickups, I believe. He um, does, yes. Okay, okay, yeah. It's gonna, yeah. What do you think about, about his stuff? Have you thought about ordering one of his pickups or something? Absolutely, absolutely. In fact, um, he's very good friends with a Nashville player, uh, Jeff Kearns. Um, and I've been, I've been uh, talking to Jeff off and on trying to to get one of uh, Rick's pickups. Um, I believe Rick is uh, teaching at the moment. Um, so his his building has kind of um, slowed down a little bit uh, due to, you know, teaching, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So it, it kind of comes in. I have to find when he's kind of doing a new batch of, of his guitars and his pickups and kind of put an order in. Um, while he has the opportunity. But I, I've heard that a lot of guys will take his pickup and put into these Jerry Bird fry pans. Uh-huh. Um, 
And that's I'd something be, I've been wanting to do. Nice. Yeah, I'd be curious what the, what it would do, you know, changing out that pickup, if it'd really make a big difference or not. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, from what I've heard, it, it's a night and day difference. Um, I know he had Jeff Alhoy uh, check out one of his amplifiers. Um, and I want to say this was at the Fort Collins uh, convention. I could be wrong. It might have actually been in the islands. Um, but there's a video on YouTube of Jeff playing uh, one of Rick's amplifiers. And he also plays one of uh, Rick's guitars. Uh, yeah, I believe I think... he plays the, uh, the tuck light. Uh, which looks like a uh, Rickenbacker B6. Ah, okay. Yeah, yeah. Nice. Yeah, I, I get, I've never had um, never had him on the show, but I'd love to. You know, I've actually never even talked with him, but he seems like a really interesting guy, you know? Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, I mean, he he makes such great products as well, you know? It's uh, everything I've seen from product reviews to video demonstrations. They're They're great. nice yeah so yeah yeah well maybe in the summer he'll uh uh, i know he's teaching like a science class isn't he uh, at a high school somewhere yeah absolutely yeah (laughs) yeah it's uh i want to say it's a a pretty intense uh science class as well i i was under the impression it was something to do with like uh physics or or something like that um (laughs) so it's it's up there it's definitely an upper level class from what i've heard so Wow. wow. Yeah. Well, man, it's been great. It's been uh, great talking to you. I know you got to get out of here pretty soon, so I don't want to, you know, run you late or anything. But um, are you thinking about heading to Fort Collins, you think? Yeah, absolutely. That's that's something I'm definitely trying to make happen. Um, it's, it's really the closest thing we have to uh, the islands out here. And... Um, Allen's festivals as well, you know, at, at a fraction of the price, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And the time too. that flight, man, from oh, for me, yeah. at least from St. Louis to Maui is, I, that's a long flight. <laughs> oh yeah. Oh yeah. And I, the nice thing, um, my family lives in Waikiki, so I, I get to go out there from time to time and, and catch the Honolulu festivals or the Waikiki festivals. Oh, nice. Um, but like you said, the, the, tickets and then the flight and from here it's about yeah nine hours so yeah it's uh yeah fort collins is, is right around the corner so it's <laughs> it's a little bit more manageable <laughs> yeah 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 i i gotta look into that because i thought about it last year and then uh and then i kind of opted not to but it, it it would be pretty cool to to do that you know hopefully i'm i go in moods with my plane and hopefully i'm still in the the hawaiian mood you know as far as a yearly kind of seems like around the spring and summer when it feels more like Hawaii around here and I get calls for Hawaiian gigs, I, I get oh, yeah. real into a Hawaiian mood of playing. <laughs> oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> I got to have that carry on through the rest of the year, I think, you know? <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, cool. Well, good deal. Well, um, yeah. Is there any websites or anything you you can tell people about, about any of the, the, the things we've talked about? Soar you had mentioned earlier. Um, yes. Yeah. Um, so SOAR and uh, uh, Guitars for Vets uh, are available. You can find them on the Wounded Warrior website, um, which I'm not sure if that's a .com or .org. Yeah, yeah. Um, I imagine it's a dot, .org. Um, but uh, you can find that through, through Wounded Warrior. And uh, 
for military personnel uh, through the Wounded Warrior Battalion on post or the nearest post, um, you can request to join in the SOAR program or request, request to have SOAR uh, available to your location. Um, and that's run on post through the Army Band on, on uh, a specific installation. Um, and so that would only take, you know, a little bit of, of communication to have that happen. Nice. Um, and then, uh, of course, Kekulamele, uh, kekulamele.com. There you go. Um, you know, that's, that's a great resource, especially, um, especially for getting in contact with Alan, um, you know, your website as well. Um, I, I'm constantly sending people to, to your website to, to do video, check out the videos and things like that. Cause it's, oh. when I first started playing, I was, I was buying videos off your website. Um, cause that was, you know, I had the time and I could sit there and watch and rewind and great resource. Oh, well, thanks Definitely. man. I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah and tell people um, too, where they can find your, your articles that you're writing too. Oh, absolutely. So the website is steeltrappings.com. Okay. Um, and my article is How Mana. Um, but there are also a lot of great articles on there about uh, vintage guitars. Um, in fact, uh, there's an article that was just put out maybe last month or the month before about uh, utilizing uh, the program Finale um, oh, for nice. writing music and tabbing things out. So it's really a big resource for steel guitar players um you know you can you can hear about these festivals that we've been talking about um as well as you know kind of learn about who's playing who's kind of uh um out there right now and and kind of doing things so it's a great nice. resource and before we get out of here maybe your your uh if you if you can maybe top three albums that at least that you could recommend to our, our listeners Absolutely. In fact, I have a couple here. Yeah. Uh, so the very, very first one is a must for steel guitar players. Um, this is Alfred Apaka's Greatest Hits. This features Jules Ossie on steel guitar. Nice. Um, great album. Um, if you can't find it on iTunes, uh, it should be available on uh, some of the steel guitar forums. Um, or maybe something like Spotify, uh, things like that. Um, another one, just for listening uh, purposes, would be uh, Arthur Lyman's Blowing in the Wind. Now, this doesn't have steel guitar on it, but it features uh, Arthur Lyman, who is a vibraphone player. Oh, cool. Um, and his band. And there are a couple Hawaiian standards, as well as some pop tunes like Blowing in the Wind. Uh, but the reason why I like that is it, it really gives you the uh, vibe of being in Hawaii and it kind of shows a different side of, of what was happening in Hawaii, uh, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Nice. Um, and and then, we don't uh, have to limit, we don't have to limit to three either. If you've got several more, just, uh, I just picked three as a random number. So oh yeah, some... definitely. <laughs> <laughs> um, another great one, another great steel guitar album is uh, Hawaii Calls uh, Favorite Instrumentals. Nice. Now, this is a couple different artists. Um, Hawaii Calls employed quite a few steel guitar players over the years. But if you're interested in playing Hawaiian music, um, any of the Hawaii Calls programs are, are great because they, they were recorded live. Um, so you get to kind of feel what was going on, uh, 
how players approached a song. Um, and you get, you get to hear a lot of the greats that are quoted through Steel Guitar Forum and various websites um, and, and kind of really experience things as they were happening, being that they were live, live recordings. Um, so those, those are, I'd say those are definitely my top three uh, for, for steel guitar players and musicians in general. Cool, um, cool. And I noticed that those are vinyl. Any, any thoughts on, on listening to, to vinyl albums of old Hawaiian music? <laughs> I would say it's, it's worth the experience. Um, there are a lot of people that, that um, you know, prefer MP3s, um, CDs, and things like that. And, and I found that when you listen to a vinyl album, you actually get the stereo effect as it was intended to, to be heard. Um, most record players, you know, have two speakers, um, not all of them, but you, you really hear uh, a lot more on vinyl, in, in, in my ears anyway. I hear a little bit more. You can hear what kind of room they were playing in. Whereas, um, perfect example, that Arthur Lyman album was recorded in, on stage uh, at the Hawaiian Village in uh, Waikiki. And uh, back in the day, they used to have a concert hall that was specially built for, for performances. Um, and it was this huge dome that was built to actually amplify acoustics um, without needing a whole lot of stage volume. Huh. And so this record was recorded on stage in this big amphitheater under this dome. And you hear so much more. Um, you hear natural reverb. You can hear what side of the stage a band member is on um, because that's that's the way it, it just kind of came through the, the microphones. Um, you don't really get that so much on MP3 um, just due to the way MP3s are compressed and, and put together. And, of course, you know, nowadays we use uh, digital recording formats, um, which kind of adds and adds and takes away from sound at the same time. You know, uh, there's something to be said about tube consoles and, and things like that, but that's, that's a whole another science. <laughs> yeah. We got um, we got to have another podcast where we just talk about, uh, if you're getting into recording, I'd love to geek out with you on uh, recording and pick your, your brain too. I'm sure I could learn a bunch from you too. Yeah. That'd be great. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, cool. I got to check out those albums too, especially the, the, the vibraphone when I, I, uh, I use Spotify quite a bit just because it's so easy to use, but maybe, maybe it's on there. I don't know. I'd have to do a, a search, you know? I believe it is. Um, cause I'll, I'll use Spotify when I'm doing things around the house or if I'm in the car and, yeah. and I have like an Arthur Lyman playlist and I have, um, you know, all the, the steel guitar players. I have, uh, a lot of a lot of rockabilly and punk rock too that <laughs> that I have saved just to you know um, but I mean it's great and I mean as far as vinyl goes you know if you have the means to to find vinyl like if there's a place near you that sells it um, it's definitely worth checking out but it's definitely not a necessity either um, yeah I I know uh, a lot of people kind of get turned off by vinyl too because it's hard to find. Um, you know, of course, there's iTunes always, and and a lot yeah. of the uh, the modern artists are are available on on iTunes, and I would definitely recommend you know to anybody interested in Hawaiian music, um, you know that's a good place to start. You know, is especially with you know everyone having a smartphone nowadays. You know, you can get it in a you know the touch of a hand. So yeah, yeah, that's cool. There is something nostalgic too to hear the 
the scratching of the of the record and then to hear the old you know style music hawaiian music and all that i think on vinyl i have a, a few albums on vinyl but it it, it kind of brings you almost back to that era you know oh yeah you, you hear absolutely the, just the nature in which you're listening to it just that that i don't want to say lo-fi but i mean compared to what we have now maybe the just the scratching of the record all that kind of adds to the whole sound of the music i feel like and the vibe of it you know oh yeah absolutely absolutely and the the nice thing about vinyl is you know when you when you put it on you're you're in for the ride you know (laughs) um you you almost have to make your listening experience your your activity for the time because it's you know you got to make sure you're you're rotating the disc and yeah um, you know, and of course with vinyl, they warp very easily. So you have to, you can't leave them laying flat for too long. So you really can't walk away and get distracted. You know, it's, it's kind of interesting. It's very, uh, uh, very involved process, you know, and that's, yeah. that's something I love, you know, it's great. <laughs> well, that's cool. <laughs> well, thanks, Steve. Yeah. I, uh, you know, hopefully we can do another one of these and, um, you know, thanks for, for, for doing this. It's been really informative. I really enjoyed it. Absolutely. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. Yeah, man. Well, maybe I'll see you out in Fort Collins. And if not, then, you know, maybe some other time. But it's it's been a blast. Thanks yeah, so much. Absolutely. Thank you. <laughs> okay. We'll talk to you later. <laughs> All right. Aloha.